I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. It's because of all that wind you have in your office, huh? <laughs> it's the wind of the Holy Spirit, Jesse. Oh, man. Yes, hey. enlivening our minds. So talk about the mystery of the Eucharist and the life of the church. Hey, what? Hey, what? Hey, what? Hey, we're, uh, we're, we're continuing through this amazing document from the bishops, the mystery of Eucharist. And uh, Chris, I, I forgot to mention this. You were talking about a representation mm-hmm. of this, right? And it occurs to me, I'm looking at this document. Um, I went through the Eucharist Revival website, and the file name on the PDF that I have pulled up here, it says, The Mystery of Eucharist, comma, for re-upload. And it made me think downloading and uploading in terms of like this, you know, high to low, low to high. You know, we talk about this all the time. And I was just like, oh, Christ is in the cloud, and I have to like re-upload myself to the, to this, in this sacrifice, you know? Okay, that, more crickets. Those are, the, uh, those are the those are the crickets of love <laughs> and humor. Did you well, have your Did you have your mic muted? Like, mute, you don't, yeah, you don't uh, think that was funny? I thought it was great. Chris's head is down on his arms in in pain, intellectual yeah. pain right now. <laughs> oh no! But you got something right there. You know, there's there's something that God has that we lack, right? And He has fullness of existence. He's being itself. We participate in being, but we want to participate at a higher level. Back to that 100-watt, million-watt, infinite-watt bulb from our little dim bulb. So uh, how do you become a 100-watt bulb from a 10-watt bulb? You can't stay the same, which means you must. Look into the sun. <laughs> Burn your eyes. S-O-N, right? S-O-N. Uh, yes, 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 well, yes, yes. Th- this, this section in uh, the document again this is about how to respond to the gift of the eucharist and so the one is a uh, uh, thanksgiving and worship the second is be transfigured and the third is to maybe they should have done this one second is to convert is to turn away from sin and to turn back to uh back to god i mean that seems to me uh i was thinking do- the same thing to do that yeah. before the other but whatever hey hey editing is a hard job you know people just think you know it's being editor but yeah it's really just hard ask, yeah. just ask kevin thornton so, yeah, so part of this package deal uh, is uh, turning away from sin and turning back to God. And what I think, so we're at, we're at number 44 in this document. Uh, and uh, you, do you remember, I don't know if you do, it's a long time ago. Do you remember how Dennis and Jesse, when this document started, when they started talking about the gift of the Eucharist and was talking about the sacrifice of Christ, where did they start their discussion of the sacrifice of Christ? Our sinfulness, sinfulness, yeah, ding, ding, ding. Who's our need? Yeah. So, yeah, I always had the bell, but uh, bell technology isn't what it used to be. Okay, either way, so Dennis, that's the right answer. The 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 sacrifice, the whole point of there being a sacrifice of Jesus and a, and a savior is because of sin, and this is a really strong point of this document, you know, not that I'm the arbiter of uh, the bishops as theologians of the church but now here we come back again to it's there's this problem of sin that the eucharist is trying to address right and this is about the coming of christ it's about the coming of john the baptist is repent turn away from sin turn back towards god 
So we need this, uh, it says here, we need continually to heed Christ's call to conversion. What's convert? What's the etymology of conversion, Dennis? It's, uh, there must be like a turn with, is that what it means? Literally? I think so. Versus, versus, versio. Yeah. So to, I suppose, who's the with? Who are we turning with? With God. God. Yeah. 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 It's a veritary hmm. to turn and with and together. Yeah. You know, there's this, this is probably entirely irrelevant, but uh, um, rubrical uh, nerd uh, stuff here. You know, when the, if the priest is celebrating, I suppose, I think this happens uh, in the extraordinary form, or even the, the ordinary form, uh, ad orientum, he turns around to face the people to the right. And then he always turns back to the left, at least up to this one point where he said, uh, I think it's the uh, orate fratres. He turns around to the right. And what does he do? This time he does a complete, oh. does a complete, uh, what, what's the word, vertere or version? He turns around. It's like, okay, everybody, let's turn the ship around away from its self-destructive path and let's turn it around and go back to God. If you don't stop sitting, I'm going to turn this liturgy around. <laughs> <laughs> don't make me stop the liturgy. So well, this yeah. is your favorite story, Jesse, right? The road to Emmaus, they're walking away, right? And then they have to turn around and go back yeah. to Jerusalem. So, uh, in a sense, you know, like God's God and right in all analogies lap. But if you had a coach, if you had a teacher and the teacher's like, you, you don't study enough, you know, you're not really doing what I asked you to do. You're not doing the homework. You have to turn around and go back to the desk or go back to the book or go back to do your layups or whatever it is. Uh, if you want to be good at something, mm -hmm. you have to do, not do the things that get in the way of being good at it and do the things that help you be good at it. Right. Yeah. I, I seem to. This is like a C.S. Lewis or Chesterton thing, probably, is that, you know, if you're going down the wrong path, I mean, at a certain point, you have to stop. You can't just keep going and expect that eventually, you'll, I mean, you got to stop and you got to turn around. So, you know, part of the response to the great gift, which is the Eucharist, is to stop doing those things that are killing your your own life, divine life and your your joy. You got to stop that. and You've got a conversio have this metanoia, this change of mind, this repentance and turn back to God, turn away from sin and back to God. And so this is a, this is a key component to our response to uh, the gift of the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. There's a little remedial, uh, what do you call it? Sort of catechism lesson here about uh, sin, venial sin and mortal uh, sin. And, and I suppose they realize that many people don't know this anymore. I mean, this would have been Baltimore catechism stuff, pretty like third grade back in the, back in my mom's day. Um, but venial sins are everyday faults that don't break the covenant with God and don't deprive the sinner of friendship with God or sanctifying grace. So mortal sin is almost a, like a parody these days, except it's really uh, kind of a true thing, right? That mortal sins, as the name implies, rupture the communion you sh share with God. And um, if you receive communion in that state, it's another mortal sin of sacrilege. I know that's old school stuff. It's, but, back, back up, back up a little bit, Dennis. Let's let's yeah. stay re, let's stay remedial here. What's yeah. how do I know the difference if I'm committing a venial sin or a mortal sin? Well, they do give the classic definition. Your here, spiritual right? director tells you. Obviously, <laughs> there's that um, that you know it's wrong, that you choose it freely and willingly, and it's grave matter, right? And it's opposed to the love of God and neighbor. Yeah. So for a mortal, yeah. So venial sin uh, is an act of selfishness. That uh, you know uh, weakens the, as you said, weakens the communion with God and with those around us. But it doesn't destroy it. 
a mortal sin destroys it. And the kind of the, the formula for a mortal sin, it has to be seriously deadly, you know, grave matter. You have to know that it's grave matter and you have to choose it anyway. Right. And there's, of course, there can be all sorts of mit legitimately uh, mitigating sort of uh, factors in that. You know, I don't know if anybody out there has kind of done this process through his own. Was that a mortal sin or not? And I, did I know it was? Did I really choose to do that? But I mean, this is what, what do we call this? Examining your conscience, you know, is, if you did this or not. So, yeah, but they you're right. They, they back up and they give us uh, a little uh, uh, review of what venial sins and uh, mortal sins do. And, you know, what you're saying, Dennis, I mean, does, does anybody actually believe this stuff anymore? This, you know, this mortal venial stuff. But I, it seems to me, I mean, even if you, you know, weren't a Catholic theologian or you weren't reading through the Baltimore Catechism of the Catholic Church, right? Everybody can say, you know, there's just, there are things that I do in my life, just on the natural level, that are, <laughs> they're killing me. They're destroying uh, my vibrancy, my 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 life my living and if i keep doing them whatever it is pornography drugs and alcohol uh general irascibility i mean the, the producing list is endless. bad podcasts ah, yeah i mean at a, at a certain point if you keep doing those things it's just it's going to wipe you out and so whether you believe in mortal sin or not i mean everybody i think recognize that there's life destroying joy soul crushing things that we do that if you want to live, you got to stop doing them. True enough, right? And then you know they. All right, Dennis. Just, so make sure you listen to that. Yeah, you listening I, to me, I, Dennis. This is really just wait, an intervention. You wait, know? what? What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know we talk a lot about signs and symbols all the time, as we should, right? And signs that affect the reality they symbolize and all of that, and so. The point they make here isn't mortal sin. You know, I, I just watched this video, which I recommend. It's kind of funny. It's called uh, Heaven Help Us. It's from 1985. And it's got uh, some pretty good actors in it. And it's a it's the life of a student John in a Knotts Catholic school. In a role in 19 will astound you. <laughs> 1965. And uh, it reminded me of some of the Kevin Thornton stories that he told that the nuns had a clicker and everybody would kneel and then the clicker and they would all stand up. And anyway, it's kind of funny, but they they have uh they're lining up to go to confession and they're like rephrasing all their sins so they don't sound so bad and uh, go, trying to pick the right priest who's going to, you know, let them off easy. It's it's so funny. It's I think if you've been there and lived it, it's kind of true, but also uh, kind of funny. But it's not so much about wiping slates clean and, you know, angry God wiping, you know, these demerits off the, the chalkboard of eternity. Um, it says it's a counter sign. It's a lie. If you express communion that you have broken with others, then you're just sort of going through the motions and it's not the true sign of what what the eucharist oh. is so you mean if if you're receiving keeping in state of eucharist in a state of uh of death then it's a counter sign and a lie yeah you know? somebody shoots your dog and then comes to your house with a cake and says i love you and tries to pretend like nothing ever happened that's that's a counter sign right it's a lie if they come and apologize it's a different story if they beg forgiveness that's another story what if so, they bring a pie is that okay if if it's a cherry pie with extra pie crust all is forgiven that's all right yeah. yeah that's for sure um but that's this is kind of how it goes right you've got to act coherently and be uh coherent so it's not it's not a bad mark for you. You must sit there in the pew and, you know, feel humiliated. On the other hand, you know, we always hang out in this balance as Catholics between God who forgives us fairly easily. I mean, how much easier is there anything than confession? 
you can say something pretty darn bad and it's a number of Hail Marys, right? And and try to make restitution. Um, so God loves us, wants to forgive us. At the same time, he holds us to high standards. And, you know, we all hang out in that in between of those, the interplay of those two things. Yeah. No, I, I like how you talk about that, Dennis, not just in this podcast and elsewhere, but, you know, mortal sin isn't this, you know, uh, black spot, you know, on this thing called soul. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's a joy kill. It's just wiping out your life. That's what's at stake here is uh, not necessarily, you know, burning eternally in hell, which is certainly something you do want to avoid, but uh, it's, it's about uh, keeping you from living in the heart of the Trinity and uh, you know, receiving the the breath of the Trinity in your own lungs. I mean, that's true. Talk about you know the soul, that great uh, anima or animator of the Trinity. That's what's at stake here. And you're just killing your life by. I'm. I don't mean you. I'm killing my life by well, you, you know, know these uh, you know deadly acts. So. Right. So now, you know, the document tiptoes around this public role of, you know, public yeah. sinners and public figures and political Rear figures and all that. This is 48 and, for, and forward. That there's a visible visible dimension to the church, right? So Holy Communion is not yeah. just you alone, right? You're walking up in front of people. So there's a certain, you know, not that it's a haughty proclamation, but there's a certain proclamation quality to that, which is I am worthy to receive the Eucharist, or at least I'm, I've met the minimum conditions. And if someone is a public sinner and is publicly breaking that communion in a number of ways and then going through the signs or the motions of of this communion of the of the church then that becomes a problem so you know it's all delicate yeah. business we don't know the state of any individual soul you don't want to uh, yeah. be judging anyone from the pews or how dare he or she go to communion when someone's a public sinner it's a little easier <laughs> to say okay you yeah. probably are, have removed yourself from this communion yeah this is that uh canon 915 that mm-hmm. uh, was talked about a lot and it's brought up twice in in this document that right I don't know if you remember uh, I think they voted on this or they discussed it in the November 21 uh, meeting of the bishops and there was at the bishops meeting in Baltimore at that time there were there were protesters out there I mean not about pro not about pro-life stuff necessarily is protesting that the bishops would eventually end up denying, you know, uh, manifest grave sinners, uh, Holy Communion. That's what they're, uh, but this 915 is what it says here is that uh, those who obstinately persist in manifest grave sin are not to be admitted to Eucharistic communion. That's what Canon uh, Canon 915 says, Uh, you know, but to your point, I mean, who's the one, you know, so this has to do with the individual conscience Although, Mister Etymology, there, uh, what does conscience mean? To is it like to know with? To know, yeah, like skio yeah. or science is knowledge. But who are you knowing with? Who's the other one that you're to know with? God, as is uh, revealed in His church. Church. Right. You know, so conscience isn't this uh, lone, isolated voice in your head. It's knowing with another body which is right. the church so it necessarily involves somebody else but ask every so, psychopathic murderer who has no conscious conscience right, who kills people they have no remorse no conscience you can't just say well my conscience is clean there's an external uh, reality to that as but well. but it, who who is the i mean god is the ultimate judge of this but it's not just uh, inside you know between my own two ears it says here at, uh, at the end of 49 it's the it's the responsibility that ass and bishop you know who's the head of the local church who every one of us is to be knowing with, who is to, uh, you know, 
to pastorally and truthfully deal with those that uh, Canon 9, 915 might be uh, might have in mind. So exactly, and with most people, you know, it's there's no nothing. Very rarely is there anything to be gained from publicly causing a scene, right? By denying somebody communion. On the other hand, if someone has publicly made their separation from the church known. And we can all think of people who have politics mostly, but you could also imagine, you know, other figures, public figures, sports stars or actors or whatever, then that's an issue, right? Now, prudence comes in, right? Is, is it going to generate more backlash if you if you make a scene or, you know, is Jesus a big enough boy to handle an occasional <laughs> blasphemy, right? And so you have uh, tough decisions uh, to make. So but the easiest integrity the second, yeah is uh, number 50. Before we receive Holy Communion, we should make a good examination of conscience to ensure that we are properly disposed. And it goes on to talk about the great gift of the sacrament of penance. Mm -hmm. And so part of our response to this great gift is this turning away to sin and the great vehicle for that. See, now, the, you know, the, does the Eucharist forgive sins? Venial sins. Venial yes. sins, yeah. Um, but to, to receive the Eucharist as a state of mortal sin only makes things worse so the sacrament of penance is the great gift that uh you know is you know like like all of the sacraments you know they all sort of lead to the eucharist and go you know they're 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 complementary to the eucharist but uh go to the sacrament of penance often uh to make your response to the great gift that much more appropriate mm -hmm. and i know everybody gets nervous and everybody's ashamed and everybody's scared nobody wants to go to Confession often, you know, especially at the beginning of stages of uh, conversion. But, uh, you know, I've had the good fortune, and probably you too, and Jesse, Chris, both, uh, to know a lot of priests just having taught the seminary. And they love it when a sinner comes in, hasn't been to confession in a long time, and they're burdened and they're in anguish and they get that freedom. And it's so, it's so gratifying to priests. They don't care at all about anybody's particular sins. They care about that person and freeing them from the effects of those sins. And uh, there's no reason to no reason to stay away. So, uh, tribunal of mercy—that's what uh, Jesus called the, the um, confessional in uh, his revelations to Saint Faustina. The tribunal of mercy. We did this um, end of the year for Adoramus. We did as this end of the year thing for the first time, where, where we did the uh, you know which of our stories and questions had the greatest traffic to it, you know, online, and uh, came up with a top twelve list. And one of them was how uh, seminarians are trained to hear confessions. You know, so what, what's it like to be, you know, a fourth year guy and you're, how are you, how do you go through training about having to hear confessions? And there's a great line in there. Um, it's by this father, Anthony uh, Steppel. Yeah, there was a really good pod. Too. Yeah, a really good, yeah, podcast, a good podcast about that it. article too. Uh, I don't about, know who did it. <laughs> he talks about how one of the things they're trained to do is to forget. Right. So if you're you're nervous about going to confession and, you know, say father, no, father is trained to he's paying attention, but he's trained to not really carry things away from the confession uh, with him. I, that's one of the things that I re that I remembered from uh, this story. So, yeah, confessions are great, uh, great gift as as those who, you know, as, as many people can can attest. Well, all right, that's the end of this section. Next one's going to be food for the journey. but. For now, Jesse, if you have a oh, liturgy it, question. Is it my solo time? Oh, sorry. Oh, liturgy question. Okay. <laughs> Unless you want to go oh, do a public confession here. <laughs> oh, my God. We're gosh. all for that. We, don't, we only have a few minutes left, though. 
You know, we have a confession question actually this sure. week. Yeah. All right. I think it's super appropriate. I, I'm I'm super excited to dive into this one. So let's do it. Mail call. Mail call. Oh Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning. All right. Uh, this week we have a question from Rediger. Hello, Rediger. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Hello, Rediger. Rediger says, Hello, Liturgy guys. I hope the new season comes out soon. Well, you're in luck. It just came out. He says, In the Abbey, where I sometimes go to confession, there are four confession booths in the nave. Each booth has three doors. The priest sits in the middle compartment. It sounds like a joke setup, actually, <laughs> uh, or a riddle. Uh, he says, uh, the priest sits in the middle compartment. At first, I thought this was to account for a line on either side, but that never seems to happen. Then I wondered whether the second booth is for novices to listen in on confession to see how it's done. The same way, <laughs> the same way a medical student may observe their attending physician. What do you think? I apologize for submitting the worst question in liturgy guy history. <laughs> on the contrary, that's great. Yeah, that's you have to be smart to ask a question like could that. You, could you have a one-sided uh, confessional? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, there's there's like an old vaudeville skit of like somebody going to both places, like. It's been three weeks for my last confession. Hey, that's not very long. <laughs> yeah, I th- you know I've seen those too. Um, I mean, I know I know there's the seal of confession, so you, nobody can listen in on a confession. So I don't think it's that uh, medical observation thing. Uh, yeah. But but uh, you know, Dennis, you know things about liturgical furnishings. This uh, mm-hmm. you know anything about well, this? Well, I think it's a pure efficiency matter. You know, these days when you have a confessional, there's only usually one one person in at a time, right? And they leave the door. If you go to Europe, especially like St. Peter's, they have these double-sided confessionals that are quite open. Like the priest is in between and there's a person on each side. My guess is this comes from the days when a lot of people were going to confession and they needed to be as efficient as possible. So the priest didn't have to wait for someone to come in and kneel while the other person was leaving. And they would just slide the little thing closed and slide it open on the other side. And... Um, that saved you a couple of seconds, I suppose, 10, 20, 30 seconds on each penitent. Mm. That's my guess of why there's a double-sided uh, confessional. I I don't go to those too often because they're hard to find these days, but there is something kind of cool about those, I think. You know, someone else is is confessing and you just hear a little murmuring through the screen as you're waiting. And there is a kind of communitarian uh, aspect uh, to that. You have to try not to listen if they're speaking too loud or something. But I don't think that's the intention. I think it's purely how do we make this more efficient for yeah. lots of people yeah i think uh, then when there weren't a lot of people going to confession and going to confession face to face become more became more popular then probably they turned one of them into uh maybe a, a confessional where you could go if you want to go face to face go in this door if you want to go behind the screen go in that door that's what i think mm-hmm Makes sense. Yeah, I think that I think that all makes sense. So, uh, Rudiger, I hope that answers your question. And if you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys. Thank you and God, God bless. bless. Another episode of Liturgy Guys has mercifully come to an end. Our hosts are Chris, Get Out of My Dreams and Into My Carsons, Dennis, Big McNamara, and Jesse Y.O.Y.O. Weiler. 
Our producers are Michael Don't Be So Coy and Nathan First Round Draft Pickman. Our epiclesis inspector is Isabel Ringing. Our liturgical bookkeeper is Miss L. Romano. Our official aerobics instructor is Jen Uflecht. Our enforcer of choral discipline is Don B. Flat. Our official rubrics interpreter is Dewey Neal. Our self-gift provider is Kenosis. Our simplicity enforcer is Fran Siskin. And lastly, our crack team of confessors is Dewey Shrivam and Howe. And even though overstoles become understoles when they hear us say it, we are the, the Liturgy, Liturgy Guys. guys.